Lord, in a season that is uh, rarely marked by stillness, um, collectively or individually, uh, we, we stop right now. We don't just slow down. Bring us to a halt uh, in our hearts uh, that we would be still and know that you are God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, I pray now as we lean into your word uh, that you would speak to us, uh, that you would reveal yourself to us, uh, that this would not just be something we listen to or, or consider, but it would get into the places of our hearts that only you can take by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we do pray, uh, Lord, I pray for particularly the folks in Kentucky, but other people in our city uh, who were profoundly impacted uh, in the storm that blew through on Friday. Uh, Lord, just the chaos and loss uh, that we experience and that they're experiencing. Uh, would you be God with them, uh, draw near to them in ways uh, that maybe they can't even explain, uh, Lord, but experience your presence uh, and even your peace in the midst of difficulty. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Oh, now everybody's really quiet. I'm going to have to get us going again. All right. Uh, this Advent series, we've been looking at different reactions and experiences people had to the first coming of Christ and really wrestling with this question, where does Jesus come to us? Not just how did he come to them, but where does Jesus come to us right now through these accounts? How do these accounts or these experiences actually challenge us? Where do they encourage us? Where do they direct us, maybe, and awaken us? Because we are those uh, who are awaiting his return, right? We're those who live between the first and second comings of Christ. So how do these accounts kind of stir us in a way as we look for Jesus' return? And the one we're going to look at today with Joseph uh, and next week with Mary, it doesn't get much more personal uh, than these two accounts of Jesus' parents. Um, it almost sounds ridiculous to say this, but how did the coming of Christ affect their lives, right? And what way, this is what we're going to dig into this morning, in what way do we see God supernaturally at work in their lives, in their relationship to God, even beyond the fact that Mary is conceiving through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus. How is God supernaturally at work in their lives and in their relationship to him? So there are a couple things we're going to look at this morning in this story that I think will be good for us to ponder for ourselves in Joseph's account, okay? So here they are. First is this. We see something happen in Joseph, and it's this, a deeper identity. He gets a deeper identity as a part of the greater story, okay? So if you're a note taker, a deeper identity as a part of the greater story, and that leads to something, that's the second thing, uh, not faithful, but faith-filled activity in Joseph, all right? Those are the two things, a deeper identity and a greater story, and then secondly, a faith-filled activity, a deeper identity and a greater story. So if you've been around church or, you know, even if you haven't been around church, this is probably not a story that you haven't ever heard before, but this is a crazy story. It's absolutely crazy. Mary and Joseph, they were a Jewish couple that was betrothed to be married, and that's different uh, than, it's awesome that the two of you read who are engaged to be married, how that just worked itself out. Uh, they were pledged to be married, but in, in that day and age, what that meant was is you were legally bound already to one another. A dowry would have been paid. Uh, marriage in this, you know, in this time wasn't like, hey, I've dated my high school sweetheart or I met her in college. This would have been worked out by two families, and they would have agreed to this, and there would have been a long season of engagement, at least a year. Uh, but it, it was legal at this point. Uh, it wasn't like they were waiting to be married and sign the marriage contract. They had already signed the contract by being betrothed to one another. And in the middle of that, what? There's this scandal, which is that Mary is found to be pregnant. And Mary didn't tell him, right? It's not like he and Mary snuck off. and She's like, hey, I've got something. I've got to break some news to you. We don't know exactly, but we can assume based on how it reads there is that he found out you know, like it was public knowledge, 
Maybe one of his buddies told him, hey, this is what's going on. But Joseph, he would have been, he'd have been about, they think, around 15 at this age. I have a 14-year-old son. 15-year-old, right? Mary, maybe that age or a little bit younger. And it says there that Joseph, whom was described, he's described as being faithful to the law. Or some of the translations say Joseph was just. Faithful to the law, didn't want to publicly disgrace her, but he had it in mind there what that he would divorce her quietly. He would divorce her quietly. Now, the cultural expectation, the Jewish law's expectation reading would have been you absolutely would have divorced her. That would be what you would have done, right? You were going to divorce her, but if you were feeling vengeful, because if she was pregnant with someone else's baby, if you were feeling vengeful, the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy actually gave you the leverage all the way up to the place to where you could have had her stoned and the person who got her pregnant. So that was an option in the Mosaic law. If, if he was feeling like, man, I'm, I'm, I got my nose cut here, and that's, that's how I'm going to get back at her, right? If he was going to keep the letter of the law, he would have gone to that point. But it says there, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. And so what we have to kind of understand and consider here is, is that Joseph, at this point, he's actually leaning on more of some of the compassionate aspects of justice and law in the Old Testament, places like Isaiah or places like Psalm 37, which says that a just man is compassionate. What is going on in the heart of Joseph, it appears at this time, is an understanding of this. Mary's life is ruined already. Her life's ruined. Like the Jewish Mishnah, which was the oral tradition of the day, she would have never, ever been allowed to remarry ever, which basically meant she was signing up for a life of poverty and obscurity. He had it in mind, I'll divorce her quietly. Now, this wouldn't have been something he just cooked up either, right? Because Joseph, he would have been living in his father's house at the time. He wasn't in his starter house. I don't even know where you get a starter house in Nashville anymore. Where do you get a starter house in Nashville? In Alabama? <laughs> he wasn't in his starter's house. At that day, you didn't leave your father's house. Many of you are saying, thank God it's not that day. He didn't leave your father's house. He would have been adding on. There would have been conversations about what was going on, Right? Joseph, son of, of Jacob. So this conclusion, he came to mind, this is what we're going to do. This wouldn't have been something that, you know, just he cooked up. It would have been conversation with the family. He'd have been adding on to his house the way that weddings at that time happened. He'd have been preparing for this grand ceremony that would have probably lasted up to a week. All of his groomsmen would have marched through the city to go get her. So this was a big family event this pledged and betrothed to be married. And all of a sudden, she's found to be pregnant. And the only conclusion, the only natural conclusion, right? If you haven't had the talk with your kids, I'm not going to have the talk with the kids, but the only conclusion is what? She's been unfaithful. So I've got to come up with a plan to get out of the marriage. And he's had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But we're definitely not going to proceed because the shame and the disgrace that would be brought just not on Joseph, but be brought on his entire family, we're, we're going to distance ourselves from that, right? So maybe we're not going to go to the hardest punishment that we can go to, but we're going to divorce. What happens? It says here in verse 20, but after he had considered this, just think about this, guys. Like, just put yourselves in the shoes. Maybe you've been in these shoes finding out that the person that you're committed to is pregnant. After he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. After he considered it, after he had a plan... After probably there had been handshakes with the family, this is how we're going to handle this situation, right? You ever been in that? 
where something's gone bad and you kind of ended up talking with mom and dad and you kind of powwowed and mom and dad said, this is what we're doing, right? The Lord appears to him in a dream. So God is at work actively stepping into this situation. And what does he say to Joseph? He says this, Joseph, son of David. Now we read this and it would be easy just to kind of move on. But for him to say that to Joseph in this dream, it should cause us to pause. And it would have caused him to pause. Because Matthew, if you know the book of Matthew, or maybe Andrew Peterson's song, uh, he sings a big song about genealogies, right? Matthew, I don't know if it's this one. Matthew's genealogy, you know, it's this giant list of fathers and mothers who bore who, bore who, bore who, to this person, to this person, to this person. There's a ton of scandalous people in that list. But eventually, fathers and mothers all the way up to the birth of Jesus. But in that genealogy, if you go back and read it, it's Joseph, son of Jacob, because that's who he was a son of, literally. Why does the angel stop here and say, Joseph, son of David? What's the angel saying in that one greeting? What he's saying to him is, is this. I'm, I'm reminding you in this moment by calling you Joseph, son of David, your bloodline. And I'm reminding you of your history I'm reminding you of your great, 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 great grandfather, King David, to whom God, what? He had promised to establish his throne through his offspring for all generations and into eternity. The Lord is saying through this angel, by calling him Joseph, son of David, that that promise that reaches all the way back into all of these prophecies and all of the Old Testament, that promise is coming to fulfillment and what's about to happen in your life just by saying to him, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love this when angels say this to people. Like, what am I supposed to do? You're an angel, A. This doesn't happen every day, so I'm probably freaked out. But what is he even talking about? Don't be afraid. What does he say right after that? To take Mary home as your wife. Not just to take her as your wife, to take her home. You hear what he's communicating? Why would he be afraid to take her home? Any chance that, that what he had considered about divorcing her quietly wasn't just the little plan that the 15-year-old cooked up, but that mom and dad and the community... They expected him to divorce her or maybe even go beyond that. So is it possible that what he was afraid of wasn't just afraid of, of, of the crazy thing that he said, but he's afraid literally to take her home. What's this going to mean for my family? What's this going to mean for my future? What's this going to mean to follow the Lord and what he's calling me to do? How is that not just going to impact me, but Mary and everybody in my family? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. What's happening in this moment is he's basically the Holy Spirit is saying this or the angel is saying this about what the Holy Spirit's doing. Go against your instincts. Go against your rights to divorce Mary. Go against probably what your parents and certainly your community expected of you. Go against all of that. Mary's going to have a boy, and you're to name him Jesus. You're even going to, which would have been a huge deal in the day, you're going to give up the right to name your own son, which by giving him the name Jesus, which Joseph does here, it's basically him adopting him into the family. I'm adopting Jesus. Go against all of that instinct and right, because what's happening is the Savior of the world, the one who is going to save his people from their sins, is being born. And then the angel quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son, a virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now imagine, think for a second, you had a dream, and then you woke up, and you came down the stairs. I don't know if they had stairs in their house, but 
Maybe you had stairs in your house. You came down and mom was cooking breakfast and mom asked you this. So how'd you sleep last night? And you said this. Well, I know what we've been discussing about the situation with Mary, but I had a dream last night. And the Holy Spirit, who you don't even know about yet, because Jesus, remember, he taught about the Holy Spirit in John after he was born. This thing called the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, hold on, hang with me here, Mom, (laughs) told me that Mary didn't get pregnant with somebody else's baby. It actually, he conceived the baby, and she's with son, and I'm supposed to take her to her home and to marry her. You think you've had tough conversations with your parents? (laughs) I mean, imagine this. What's happening for Joseph in in this brief, but I, I would say really substantial experience with the angel of the Lord? What's happening here is God is deepening, he's anchoring, he's strengthening Joseph's identity beyond being the son of Jacob. If he's just the son of Jacob, then he needs to do what Jacob tells him, right? But Joseph's son of David, what he's doing is he's awakening his identity to the fact that I'm a part of a much, much bigger story than my tiny little story of being Joseph's son of Jacob. Joseph, he's basically saying this, I am authoring redemption for my people and you are playing a incredibly unique and significant role beyond what you can understand and definitely probably beyond what you would choose for your life. But if you're going to participate in this, because remember, think about what Joseph, if he decided to not listen to that dream, what could have happened? If you're going to participate in my redemptive work, you are going to need an identity deeper than just you and your name, Joseph, son of Jacob. I have to deepen your identity. I have to tell you who you are, Joseph, son of David. And I have to tell you who I am. I am the God that is with you. I'm the God that is coming to you in Christ Jesus. I am Emmanuel, God with us. And this deepening of identity into a greater story, it led to what we see in Joseph. And that's the second thing I was going to say. Faith-filled activity. These are astonishing words. I mean, we read them and it's like, okay. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did it. He did what the angel commanded him. It's effectively saying this, I'm going to surrender my preference. I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to surrender the authority of my life to God. And I'm going to take Mary to be my wife. He gave up his own thinking on the matter, how he was going to handle the situation, what had been cooked up with his family. He didn't decide, hey, I'm just going to kind of wash my hands of this girl and get out clean. Instead, he risked by faith enormously. He dared greatly. Why? Because he was convinced God is keeping his word to send a Messiah. And if God is keeping his word to do that, he's going to keep his word to me, Joseph. You have to understand that. Like, there's no other plausible reason Joseph would have had this kind of confidence to walk down to mom the next day and dad the next day and say, this is what we're doing. This is the way we're going. He acted against his rights by law. He embraced enormous scandal and misunderstanding and even probably humiliation. Imagine walking around in that day and age with a pregnant wife while folks publicly know you weren't married yet, right? He did what the angel commanded him to do. He obeyed the command of God in the middle of all of that chaos. Who does that? Let's say this, only someone who by spirit-led faith is believing that God himself is working in the middle of all of that chaos. There's no other reason you'd do it. 
God, you are keeping your promises even in this difficult, confusing, and downright desperate moment. This is what you're doing, and I'm a part of it. So God deepens his identity into a greater story. You're not just Joseph, son of Jacob. You're Joseph, son of David. Look at what I'm doing. And that leads to faith-filled activities. So for us, for us this Advent, right? Remember I said we're looking at these accounts. How does God step into our lives through these things? Because it would be easy, you know, no one here is being asked to be the father of Jesus. And if you had a dream and you think that that's what's being asked of you, you probably drank some bad eggnog and we need to talk, okay? No one's being asked to do that. But, like Joseph, is it possible, and would you dare to believe, this morning, this season, that God wants to deepen your identity into the greater redemptive story because he has something for you to do? That he is calling you to faith-filled activity. But the only way that you're going to live in that faith-filled activity is by having a deeper experience, a deeper identity, that I'm a part of a great story that God is writing. If we're going to participate in God's redemptive plan, because God's redemptive plan, remember, it isn't finished yet. Christ is coming back. But in between that, Scripture actually says, like Joseph... Joseph had a unique role. We have a role. God has a call on our lives. And it may be a call, y'all, just like Joseph. It may be a call that will have us to actually go against family systems and family traditions. What God may be calling you to do is to actually break some of the norms of your family. I mean, some of you are cringing thinking about Christmas, right? Maybe actually go against or cut against the grain of some of the cultural norms. Maybe it would look like risking shame, right, or looking crazy. But if we're going to participate in God's redemptive plan, the same thing that Joseph needs is the same thing that we need. I need a deeper identity than myself. For the strength and the courage and the confidence to follow God, to live faith-filled activity. Let me tell you what Scripture says I know this for a fact for all of us. There are definitely unique calls on each of us, but here's one that's on all of us. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. What is that saying? That's an identity statement, right? New creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I felt the light behind me. I was like, what's going on behind me? What's Paul saying there? He's saying you got a new identity. You're born again into a new family. You have a new citizenship. You have a new heavenly father. The old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. All this is from God, he goes on, who reconciled himself through, or reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, you've been given a new identity. Now what has he given us? He's given us new activity. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You hear it? I've given you a new identity. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. This is who you are now. You're not just Dave Burden, son of Stan Burden. You are Dave Burden, son of King Jesus. And I've made you a new creation, and I have called you to be an ambassador. I've put that name on you now. And I've committed to you this message of reconciliation. The message of atonement is what that says there. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You hear it? God is making his appeal to the world through you and me. We're the billboards of his work and his grace. And just like Joseph, doesn't that work and grace come in the middle of chaos? Not in spite of it, but in it. I want to work in and through the chaos of your life to declare I'm with you. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, how can we step into that call? How do we step into that call as ambassadors of reconciliation? Bringing that message to the world that's deeply trying to reconcile things. What does Paul say there? He says what? Be reconciled to God. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think about this for a second. When you reconcile, I don't do this, my wife does this, she's the accountant in our family, but when you reconcile a bank statement, what are you doing? You're actually trying to do the math, right, to make sure that everything adds up. Basically, what Paul is saying is, is you got to be doing the math of the gospel. You have to reconcile this new identity against your old identity. But I'm bad at math, and Jesus understands something about our gospel math too, and it's this. You're forgetful. You're bad at the math as well. And so he actually sends something, not just once, not just an angel like he sent to Joseph. He sends us something and someone to be with us, this Holy Spirit forever. Literally, like a personal accountant who walks around with us and lives inside of us, that you're a temple of the living God, and he adds up the gospel all the time. This is what John 14 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You hear what he's saying? I've given you the Holy Spirit to remind you of everything, of who you are, of whose you are, of the call that I have on your life. He says, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Joseph had a visit from an angel. We have something that Scripture says the angels long to look into. That we've been made the temple of the living God. He doesn't just send an angel to us. He puts his very own spirit inside of us. And I encourage you, maybe the Holy Spirit is a relationship, like a gift that many of us haven't opened up or maybe even experienced. John 14 says that he'll guide you into all truth. He'll be a comforter in your time of need. But I'd really encourage us to wrestle with, do you know his voice? Do you know that he's dwelling with you, that he is God with us? I know for me there were seasons of life, and maybe this is you, some of us don't know his voice because avoiding difficulty in situations like Joseph was in is the goal of our lives. Like that's what I'm reconciled to. I'm reconciled to never getting into that kind of situation where I have to take that kind of risk or lose that kind of control or feel that exposed. I will never get to that place in my life. That's what I'm reconciled to. That's what I'm committed to. Well, if comfort and control are the goal of our lives, then we don't need the Holy Spirit. If, though, if I'm open, even if I'm reluctant, and yes, Joseph was afraid, even if I'm reluctant and afraid to say, Lord, I'll let you follow, or sorry, Lord, I will follow. I will let you lead me. I'll let you direct my life which I know is going to involve difficult emotions, facing difficult conversations, probably within my family and without my family. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me into that, I know you can't navigate that without my Holy Spirit. And you don't have to. You see, the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not a theological concept. It's a compatriot. It's a manual. It's God with us in our every day. He's like, uh, for the kids in the room, you guys, I'm a Marvel fan. He's like, you remember Captain America and Bucky, right? In the Captain America films and the Winter Soldier films. They have a line that is shared between them multiple times in the field, or in, the, in these films. They say this to each other, I'm with you to the end of the line. In really tough moments in the film, they look at each other multiple times and say, hey brother, I'm with you to the end of the line. Well, that's like the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's like your own personal Captain America, okay? He's principled, he's selfless, he holds you to the truth even when it hurts, he stays with you even when you're brainwashed and afraid, even when you're going against and running away from what you know is right, he is with you to the end of the line. And he's fighting with you and for you to lean into the fact that you have been given a deeper identity and you are a part of a greater story. Do you know that? That was true for Joseph. It's true for us. If I don't know that the Lord is with me, that he is Emmanuel God with us, then I cannot be strengthened into walking into the places that he is calling me into, which are going to look a lot more. If I'm following Jesus, it's going to look a lot more like Joseph. There's going to be crazy parts of the story. They're going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. I'm not going to want to do. They're going to cut against the grain of my family and against the grain of culture. But he's saying, guess what? I've called you to this, and I'm going with you to the end of the line. Will you let him speak to you? Will you let him visit you? He stands at the door and knocks. Not just one night, all day long. Let him deepen your identity. You're a son and daughter of God, an heir and an ambassador. When that connects, when that clicks, when you experience in that, he begins to direct our activity. I have the faith that I need to walk into whatever he's calling me to because he's going there with me. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, whew. Thank you uh, that like Joseph, you uh, remind us of who we are. You pull us up out of our story, our little stories that many days were committed to living in, stories of control, stories of comfort, stories of avoiding conflict. And like Joseph, uh, you're calling us uh, to lean into the fact that you are with us and that in the middle of all of this, this difficulty, uh, Lord, you're leading us, and you can lead us. And I pray that that would be true. I pray that you deepen our identity this Christmas, that we'd realize that this story is about you coming uh, to give us a new identity, uh, to give us new hearts and new spirits so that we could follow you. Uh, lead us, Lord Jesus, in this season. And I pray, uh, Lord, that this would maybe be the time where we would step into, what are you calling us to? And how are you going with us uh, so that we can walk into whatever it is? We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hear these words and be guided into the presence of the Spirit who speaks to you and embraces you and leads you. And you can sing if you want. Yours.
sing a song this morning that is um, it's basically just uh, Psalm 23 but put to music and um, the the refrain that keeps getting repeated is hallelujah I'm not alone <laughs> which is often I think such a, a shock to us um, I think we keep remembering and we keep forgetting that um, we're not alone and that is so much of that's so much of what what the significance is that we would call Jesus Emmanuel God with us he said to the disciples before he ascended, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that includes us. He's with us too. So sing these words put to music from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me.
sing, your spirit lives within me. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, my victory, my victory. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, in my victory, in my victory. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, in my victory, in my victory. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, in my victory, in my victory. sing more or less that psalm. This is uh, Psalm 36, just verses 5 through 9. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Lord, let us taste that as we sing to you. In singing these words, let us take refuge in the shadow of your wings and feast the abundance of your house and drink from your river of delights as we declare that you are our strength you give hope which is what this season is about and you are a source of unfailing love Lord Lord be glorified as we sing to you sing you are my strength you are my strength strength like no
righteous, that you are just, that you preserve, that your love is unfailing, that you offer refuge and a feast, that you offer delights, and that you delight in us, Lord. Thank you. You are too good, and it is awesome. We love you. Thanks for bringing us here this morning. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Okay, a couple quick things. Uh, one, uh, if you are new here, uh, awesome. We're excited you're here, and I hope you meet some people in this room, and I hope you met Jesus in this room this morning. If you haven't, um, come back next week. Uh, he'll be here again. Uh, so, uh, but there's a QR code on the back of those seats. If you want more information about our congregation or about Midtown, or if you want to take uh, advantage of the Advent readings and playlists that we've been putting together, shoot that. That will take you there. Uh, the second thing is this. Uh, maybe this is along the lines of what we talked about this morning, uh, about this call on our lives that we've been made ambassadors of reconciliation. Um, we're doing a Christmas Eve service for the first time just for our community here on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's exciting. 4 p.m. Uh, here uh, at the Cafetorium and maybe Cafe uh, <laughs> Sanctatorium, uh, something like that. Maybe one of the things that God might be calling you to do that would be like Joseph was getting pushed way outside of his comfort zone way outside of what, what the norms were, uh, maybe inviting somebody here who doesn't know Jesus or you know doesn't have a church home, but you know is not living reconciled to the Lord, but you know they need the Lord. You know that, that what you know about and who you know would deeply impact their life if they became a part of a community of believers and actually experienced what the Lord can and does do for us. So maybe all it looks like is looking at somebody and saying, hey, we're doing this Christmas Eve service. Uh, why don't you come along? It's going to be a lot of carols, a lot of fun, uh, really good for kids uh, and kid-friendly. And just even something simple like that, that may make you uncomfortable. Good. <laughs> maybe that's what the Lord's calling you to do, to just take that step and allow the Lord to use you to draw somebody unto Him. Okay? Just a little challenge and encouragement. Uh, but this is for this community in this community uh, on Christmas Eve. Okay? That's it. Receive this benediction. I pray this is a prayer of Paul's uh, for the Ephesian church. Uh, because the Holy Spirit was given to apply truth to the heart and remind you of the truth, receive this, uh, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply this to your heart this week. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of His glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we all say, amen. Let's sing the doxology.